0: Well, and I invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25. Starting today right where we left off last week, in verse 14. We are looking forward to the return of Christ. For the last four messages in our Following Jesus series through the Gospel of Matthew, we've been studying what Jesus taught about His own return. Matthew 24 and 25 is often called the Olivet Discourse, because it was given on the Mount of Olives. And it's also called the Eschatological Teaching, because Jesus is teaching here on the doctrine of last things, on the end of the world, and on His return. After Jesus predicted the desolation of the temple, His disciples asked Him, When will this happen? And what will be the sign of Your coming and of the end of the age? And so Jesus launched into this eschatological Teaching. I won't try to reconstruct it all for you this morning. If you're interested in all the details of what I've been trying to show you, you should go back and read the sermons on my blog or re listen to the recordings. Marilyn puts them all up on our church website and also makes CDs of them back there on the bulletin board. I think I saw two copies of each of the last four messages that you could play in your car. But don't fall asleep while driving. It's okay to fall asleep in the pew while I'm preaching but don't do it when I'm preaching at you in your car. So I won't go into all the details again, but I do want to emphasize what Jesus emphasizes again and again and again, and that is that you and I don't know when Jesus is coming back. When is Jesus coming back? We don't know. So why do we keep acting like we do? Last week we saw that Jesus said that he might come back sooner than we expect we have to be ready we have to keep watch we have to be expectant jesus said in chapter 24 verse 42 keep watch because you do not know on what day your lord will come in verse 44 of that same chapter he said so you also must be ready because the son of man will come at an hour when you do not expect him and he gave multiple illustrations of that concept he said that he would come unexpectedly like a thief in the night It could be sooner than you expect, so be ready. It might be today. But we also saw that he also said that he might come back later than we expect. Remember those foolish virgins with their lamps but no oil that we looked at last week? They had all that time, but they were still not ready for the bridegroom. They were not prepared, and so they did not get to enjoy that wedding feast. And what they weren't prepared for was a long wait. We don't know when Jesus is coming back. Do you know when Jesus is coming back? Soon, right? Yes, soon. But on God's definition of soon. And it's already been 2,000 years. Jesus said in chapter 24, verse 36, that not even the angels in heaven know when Jesus is coming back. And he even said in that very same sentence that at that time, he didn't know when he would return. That's mind-bending to me. Jesus didn't know when he was going to return. Only the Father. We don't know. We don't know. We don't know. So right now, we are learning how to wait we're learning how to be ready we're learning how to be watchful and it turns out that being watchful is a potent mix of constant expectancy and constant longanimity that's just a fancy word for patience but it rhymes with expectancy Constant expectancy and constant longanimity. Expectancy and patience. Patience and expectancy. Constant expectancy and constant longanimity. Together, all the time, all the time together. And we're going to find out today, also, constant industry. Busyness. Industriousness. The word that the ladies read for us in our Advent reading today was Diligence. Not just vigilance, keeping your eye out, but diligence, working hard. Or because of vigilance, we practice diligence, industry. Because you see, there's different kinds of waiting, isn't there? Right? There's different kinds of waiting. You can wait one way and you can wait another. The watching and the waiting that we're supposed to do right now before the return of Christ is not at all passive. Sometimes when you think of the word waiting, you think of a waiting what? Waiting room, right? What's the most exciting thing that happens in a waiting room? Getting called in to your appointment, right? You're reading a magazine. Those magazines have been there for months. They're old news. And they don't say anything that you're interested in. And people are coming and people are going. And you're just sitting there. Is that how our waiting is supposed to be for the return of Christ? We're just kind of sitting at the airport waiting for the plane to come. Some people in the Bible thought that's what the waiting was supposed to be. Some of the men in Thessalonica had quit their jobs. And they were just waiting around because they thought the return of Christ was right around the corner. He said soon, so put my hands in my pocket and waiting. waiting in 19th century america some people thought they knew the day or the hour of christ's return and they gave away all their possessions and they just waited around to be taken beam me up lord jesus and then it didn't happen like they expected and then they didn't have anything left how disorienting would that have been What did Paul tell those men at Thessalonica? Do you know what he told those men that had quit their jobs? Get back to work. Get a job. This being ready or this keeping watch is not a passive thing like watching paint dry. It's an active thing. There are things to be doing while we're waiting. We saw last week with Jesus' parable about the wise and the foolish servant at the end of chapter 24. We saw that. And now in the middle of chapter 25, Jesus tells another parable with a very similar set of characters and a very similar point, but he takes it much further. And he puts these wonderful words into the mouth of the master when he returns and rewards his good and faithful servant. He says, well done. (laughs) Well done. You have waited well. You have kept watch the right way. You have stayed ready for my return. Well done. Now, I don't know about you, but I long to hear that said to me. And I long to hear that said for all of those whom I pastor. Well done. So let's pray together and see what it takes to hear these words from our master let's pray father we don't know only you know only you know when so help us to live out that truth help us to be expectant help us to be patient and help us lord to be busy about your work i pray especially for that last one today That as we wait, we would work and invest for your kingdom and for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's start in verse 13. Verse 13 goes with the preceding parable, but it's ringing in the disciples' ears when he launches right into this one. In verse 13, he's just emphasizing the main point once again. Verse 13, therefore, keep watch. Because you do not know the day or the hour. Do you know when Jesus is coming back? No, you do not. If you get anything out of Matthew 24 and 25, that's what I want you to take. You don't know. It might be sooner than you expect. And it might be later than you expect. And so you have to keep watch. And while we keep watch, we work. Verse 14. Again, It, the kingdom of heaven, will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. Now that word talent in the 1984 NIV and the 1611 King James Version can be a little confusing for us because it doesn't mean what it used to mean. A talent in those days was a weight of valuable metal. It was the basic amount of metal a soldier, a Roman soldier, could carry on his back. So it was about 700 to, or not 700, 70 to 100 pounds of precious metal, such as silver or gold. So you could be carrying a talent, okay, on your back. That's a lot, right? Um, It's a sum of money, We actually get our word and idea of talent from this story here so that our natural gifts and talents are abilities that we've been entrusted with by God. So that's a good application of this parable, but in the story, it's a sum of money. In fact, it's a large sum of money. All three of these are. A talent was roughly equivalent to 6,000 days of wages for a day laborer. Okay, so let me get out a calculator here. All right. 6,000 days for a day, a day laborer. So that's, it's like 16 to 20 years of wages. How much money will you make in 6,000 work days? Do you know? Not off the top of your head? I, I have no idea either. Let's just say you make $35,000 a year. And if you worked every single day of that year, so seven days a week, that's 365, you'd make about $95.89 uh, per day. Okay, so let's multiply that times 6,000. I get 575,342, okay? That's one talent, give or take. I think the 2011 NIV says just just says bags of gold. Is that, one, is that what yours says? Bags of gold. That's actually more like it. By the way, do, would anybody like a bag of money? I have a bag of money up here. It's $165. Would anybody like a bag of money? Go ahead and raise your hand. I'll, I'll throw it to you and give it to you. Okay, Dottie, here's a bag of money for you. You're retired. That's all right, so's this money. <laughs> when the Challenge Group went to Challenge in Kansas City last time, we toured the, uh, the, the Treasury office there, and they shred money there, the old money, and they put it in bags. So that's like $165 worth of money, but it's completely shredded and unusable. So sorry about that. I do have my checkbook here. Would anybody like me to write them a check for $165? <laughs> Yeah, okay. Um, So this guy's going away. And he's doling out his fortune. And he's entrusting it to his servants. It doesn't take a genius to realize who everybody is in this parable. Who's the master in the story? Jesus, yes. And the servants are whom? The disciples, yes. Yes. Or at least his supposed disciples. Some of you said us. That's right. The servants are us. Verse 15. To one he gave five talents of money. To another two talents. And to another one talent. Each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. So you get the picture? He's away. Here's point number one of three this morning. Marching towards hearing well done. We have been given responsibility. We've been given responsibility. You and I have been entrusted with great responsibility while we wait for the return of Christ. What do you think these three, these these uh, three, four, five, six, six bags of gold stand for in this parable? They're obviously important because the story turns on them and what happens to them. What do you think are these bags of gold? I think that they are all of the resources and responsibilities that the Lord has entrusted into our care while we wait expectantly and patiently for his return. So it is our talents, right? The way we use the word talent, our gifts. It's also our money. It's more than our money, but it's not less than our money. Whatever we've been given, large numbers or small, and it's also our opportunities. We all have different opportunities. Some of us get to do this, some of us get to do that. And it's our callings and our work. I preached this exact parable four years ago when I was preaching on our work as our worship unto the Lord. It's also our privileges. Do you know how privileged you are? Every privilege is also a responsibility. Every blessing is also a stewardship. Spider-Man was right. or They were right when they said to Spider-Man, with great power comes great responsibility. With every privilege comes responsibility. It's, It's our knowledge. So everything you know. Do you know something? Do you know anything? That's a gift. You're supposed to steward it. Your health, your energy, our lives. We've been given these things in trust. They are not our own. They are the Lord's because we are the Lord. See, he's the master and we're the servants. Boy, do we get that wrong. Sometimes we act like he needs to do what we tell him to do. No, it goes the other way around. It's the Great Commission as well. He's given it to us to make disciples. It's everything that our Master has entrusted to us to take care of while He's away. What has He entrusted to you? What's in your hands? What's in your garage right now? What's in your bank account? What's in your storage room? What's in your pocket? What's in your brain? What's in your hands? What is he entrusted to you? Now notice the servants didn't all get the same opportunity, right? Five, two, one. They get different responsibilities based on what the master determines is their abilities. So I think we shouldn't worry about other people's responsibilities. We shouldn't worry about what's in other people's hands. We should just be concerned about what's in ours. And remember that just even one bag of gold is a major responsibility. What is he entrusted to you? Because in this story, we're supposed to do something with what we're given. While we wait, we work. In fact, we invest. Verse 16. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with the two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. You can tell that story's not going to end up very well. But the first two do really well. They put their money to work. That is, probably they enter into business. They buy and they sell. Maybe real estate. Maybe commodities. Maybe fixer up. They flip homes. I don't know what they did with it. They, they buy something, fix it up. They resell it for a profit. They don't just invest it. They work it. They work this, these, this money. The point is that they put the money to work, they discharge their responsibilities. What are you doing with what you're entrusted with? Not just what are you entrusted with, but what are you doing with it? Because it's not yours. It's on loan. Are you investing it for the kingdom? For example, our celebration choir has the same number of Thursdays as all the rest of us but they've invested the last dozen or so to practicing for their ministry of music next Sunday. Thank you. What have you been given? And what are you doing with it for Jesus' sake? You guys filled 114 shoeboxes up here. And you put together 30 gifts for 15 children in our community. What are you doing with what you've been given I was going to talk to the elementary kids. Most of them are back in the hallway. This is true for any of us. What are you good at? Are you good at sports or music or art or writing, making things, fixing things, running things, leading things? Are you investing all of that for Jesus? We've been given great responsibility. Do you feel it? Do you know how blessed you are? Those blessings, every one of them, are bags of gold. The last couple of weeks, we've emphasized the question, what do you want to be found doing when the Lord returns? Because you don't know when that's going to be. This story just tweaks that question a little bit. It says, when Jesus returns, what will you be found doing with what you've been given? Because there will be an accounting. We will have to give an account. In this story, it happens in verse 19. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. Settled accounts with them. Now don't miss the first four words. I read over them pretty quickly. Did you notice them? After a long time. Notice again that Jesus left open the chance that his return may seem delayed to us. In case anybody ever says to you, well, Jesus said he was going to return in the first century and he didn't. You say, whoa, 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 whoa. He said he didn't know. And he gave us stories that said it could be a long time. We need to be busy while we wait. Just like the bridegroom in the last story, this guy takes much longer than you might expect. It's a long journey. Remember, Jesus himself did not know when he was telling the story how long he was going to be away. He knew so much, but he did not know that. And so he prepared his disciples for him to be gone, potentially a good long time. But he will certainly return. And when he does, there will be a reckoning. We will all have to give an account. The master will ask, what did you do with what I left in your hands? How did you invest your life? How did you invest your gifts and your assignments? Did you stay busy and active for the kingdom while I was away? What did you do with your kids? What did you do with the spouse I gave you? What did you do with the free time that I gave you? What did you do with the friends that I put in your way? What did you do with the education I put in your hands? What did you do with the church family that I gave you? What did you do with the freedoms that I gave you in that country you live in? What did you do with the jobs I placed in your hands? What did you do with your retirement? What did you do with your role in the community? What did you do with what I left in your hands? And we will have to give an account. Verse 20, the man who received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. Now, I'm not very good at math, but I think that's a 100% return on his investment. That's a pretty good return, I think. Look at what the Lord says to him. He says, that's awesome. Verse 21, his master replied, well done good and faithful servant you have been faithful with a few things i'll put you in charge of many things come and share your master's happiness and the man with the two talents also came master he said you entrusted me with two talents see i've gained two more another 100 percent return on his investment it's fewer talents but it's the same percentage of return right it's awesome his master replied well done Good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Here's point number three of three. We will be given a reward. (laughs) We have been given a responsibility. We will have to give an account. And if we've been faithful, we will be given a reward. Look more closely at the master's words and soak them up. Like, if, if, you take this, if you take this as kind of your marching orders for life, you'll not go wrong. Notice the master says the same thing to both faithful servants. Doesn't matter how much they were given, it just matters that they did something with it while it was in their hands. Again, don't get caught up in looking at other people's bags of gold. Same master, same more responsibility, same, same joy. Jesus will say the same thing to all of his faithful followers, whether you're a big-name Christian or a no-name Christian. Verse 21, his master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. First, the well done. If you're at all like me, you love to hear, Good job. Do you like that? Do you like to hear, Good job? Now, you don't want to hear it if you didn't do a good job. But you you want to hear good job. It happened to me like three or four times this week that somebody said to me, good job. And man, I'm just flying because of that here on Sunday morning. Oh, yeah. I can name them all. I can tell you the circumstances of all of them from this week. They said good job. But all of those good jobs that people have said to me will fade And I'll be looking for another one. They're like Chinese food. Another hour, I'll be hungry again. If I live for other people's approval, then I can be controlled by them. But if I'm living for this, for the well done from the Lord Jesus, I'll be controlled by this master. And that's what counts. And his well done will never fade, it'll be a continual feast imagine that are you living for well done by the way this is not how you get saved you don't get saved by doing your good works right? but if you are saved then your good works will follow and you'll want to please your Lord I think so often we live for someone else's approbation We live for someone else's praise, including our own praise of our own selves. Boy, I sure did that well. Mm -hmm. But while we wait, we should work for the praise of this one. But these two receive more than just praise, don't they? They also receive more responsibility. Look at verse 21 or 23 again. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things that's something isn't it this this tells us some more about eschatology this tells us something more about what the kingdom will be like what it'll be like in the new heavens and the new earth in eternity we will not have less responsibility but more responsibility there will be more work to do in the coming kingdom now it'll be work with no curse okay so it'll be wonderful Imagine work with no curse to to put frustrating friction on what we can achieve. There'll be no frustrating friction in the new heavens and the new earth. We'll work and we will see the blessing from the work. But let me just say this. Heaven will not be boring. Like if your idea of heaven is an eternal waiting room with music playing, of angels playing harps, you've got the wrong idea of what the new heavens and the new earth are going to be. It's going to be responsibility. It's going to be meaningful work forever. And boy, is it going to be good. Part of our reward is more responsibility. How does that work? I don't know. But I know it's true. Are you living for that? Are you being faithful right now so that you can be given more to do when the kingdom arrives? Jesus says, you have been faithful with a few things, however many I gave you. I'll put you in charge of many things. And then the biggest reward, come and share your master's happiness. He said that to the first servant. He says it to the second servant. Come and share your master's happiness. I don't know about you, but to me that sounds unimaginably good. Now, I don't know how much joy the master in this story had, but I know that our master, the master Jesus, has a limitless joy. And his kingdom is a party. It's not the last it's 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 like the last story of being invited into the wedding feast. Remember the, the five who had the oil got to go into the wedding feast? It was the greatest party ever. And we who are faithful get to enjoy his joy. Are you living for that reward? See, this gives us something to live for by God's grace. Notice again how much grace is here. They're given bags of gold and then they are given the master's reward. This is all of grace and none of it of legalism. But grace is not opposed to effort. Grace is opposed to earning, not to effort. Grace empowers effort. So we who have been given much grace are empowered to give much effort so that we will see much reward. Are you living for that reward? Like, do you wake up saying, I'm going to go after it this week for Jesus? Are you living for Jesus' well done? Are you living for Jesus' here's more to do? Are you living for sharing in Jesus' joy? If you are, then you can expect a reward. But if you're not, woe to you. Because the opposite is also true. Look at verse 24. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man. Harvesting where you've not sown and gathering where you've not scattered seed. So I was afraid. And I went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. Man, he seems almost mad at the master, doesn't he? For giving him this job to do? Why'd you give me this job? I don't love you. I don't trust you. I'm just scared of you. So I disobeyed you. Here's your stuff back. I didn't do what you asked. (laughs) Jesus' stories have crazy endings, don't they? Wouldn't have seen this coming. This servant doesn't obey in the slightest. And he doesn't obey because he says he's scared of the master, which makes no sense. This servant doesn't obey in the slightest. He doesn't know the master's heart. He views the master as a vicious tyrant. He views the master as harsh and unfair and profiting off of things that he has no business profiting off of. And so he rationalizes his disobedience away and he refuses the responsibility and he does absolutely nothing. Do not sympathize with this man in this story. And do not be like him. Do not be lazy with what the Lord has given to you. Verse 26. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So, you knew I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. You think I exploit people, do you? Well, then if you're so scared of me, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers at least so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. You didn't have to have ten talents. You didn't have to meet me at the door with four bags of gold. Two would have been enough. 1.5 would have been enough. 1.03 would have been enough if that was today's interest rates. But you did nothing. You didn't risk anything for my interests. Friends, don't be like this man. Don't play it safe not risking anything for the Lord. There's a word for that. It's called disobedience. Wickedness. He refused to take any risk for his master. This master's been gone a long time, and this guy has nothing to show for it. Oh yeah, he's got the original. Jesus would rather he came back with less. Having tried. He had one thing to do. And he didn't lift a finger to do it. And so for him there was no reward, no praise, no more responsibility. And no joy of the master. What a scary phrase to hear from the Lord Jesus. You wicked, lazy servant. You slackered. You you sluggard! You have been worthless. He actually calls him worthless in verse 28. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For everyone who has been given, everyone who has, will be given more. And he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's the same thing he said in the last verse of chapter 24. It's the condemnation of the judgment. Unbelievers will lose the life and talents and assignments and treasures and all kinds of other gifts that they have received in common grace if they will not trust the Lord Jesus and show that they trust the Lord Jesus by obeying the Lord Jesus. But those who do believe in Him and trust Him and put their faith in Him will show it by being faithful to Him. For everyone who has will be given more and he will have an abundance. I love that word abundance, don't you? That's what I want for everybody here in this room. Abundance now and forever. And Jesus says it comes as the fruit of faithfulness. It, if we are faithful, then we will be rewarded. Rewarded because there are not three kinds of servants in this story how many kind of servants are there in the story two right there's the wicked and the lazy so-called servants and there's the good and faithful ones and the and the parable asks us the question which one are you